Amen, amen. Good morning, church. Hey, let's put our hands together for that baptism again. It never gets old, does it? It never gets old. Well, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. My name is Daniel Norris. I'm one of the pastors here at New Beginnings. And today is a standalone message. If you remember, over the last few weeks, we've been in a series where we've been looking at our values. And so just like the 8 o'clock, I'm going to give you a little pop quiz this morning. Students, I know it's not, it's not the middle of the week. I know you're probably sick and tired of quizzes and tests, but just bear with me. Let's, let's go over our values to see how much you were paying attention over the last four weeks. And the first one is this. The Bible is, every believer is called, a few of you got it, called. Every person is valuable and God's presence is essential. I think y'all get like a 75 on that one there, a little pop quiz. We'll, we'll get it next week, all right? But next week, we're gonna be starting a new series, a brand new series on the Holy Spirit, and you don't wanna miss it. It's gonna be incredible, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. Make sure that you're here, and better yet, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers. It's gonna be an incredible series. So let me ask you this. Here's another question for you. How did you get here? I know in a car, like, I know you drove in a car here this morning, not, not like here this morning, but how did you end up here? How did you come to this place in your life? How did you come to new beginnings? I can't tell you how many stories I've heard over the years since I've been here of a friend or a classmate that saw me struggling in my freshman year of college and they invited me. They invited me to come to New Beginnings and I heard the gospel and I've never been the same and I've been here ever since. Maybe as a coworker that was struggling in that day and this other coworker saw them in the break room and they took the time to sit down and share their story with them and tell them how Jesus had changed everything for them and then invited them to church and they ended up here at New Beginnings. Another story I heard was during covid this person was feeling more isolated and alone than they had ever felt in their life. And out of the blue, a friend sent them a text message with just some encouraging words and then the link to watch New Beginnings online. And they responded to the gospel that day watching our service online and then they started coming here in person and it's changed their entire family. What about this one? A really good friend that just would not take no for an answer. No matter how many times I blew them off or told them no. They were relentless and they just kept pursuing me. They wanted me to hear the gospel. They wanted me to know who Jesus was. You see, at New Beginnings, our mission is to be a church of people connecting people to Jesus and is ever restoring life where we live, work, and play. And I want you to know something, church family, that's not just some creative words on the wall, that is who we are. We are a community of people who want to do whatever it takes to connect other people, our friends, our family, our coworkers, to the transforming gospel of Jesus, amen? And that's exactly what we're gonna be looking at this morning. We're gonna see in the, in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter two, a story of four friends who have this attitude of whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. So we're gonna be Mark chapter two, starting in verse one. If you have your Bibles and you're there, say the Bible is true. Here's what 
scripture says. It says, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could, no long, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. Would you help us to see the things that we need to see and help us to hear the things we need to hear? God, would you move in this place today? Would you transform our hearts and transform our lives? We'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. And all of God's people said, amen. So Jesus has been in this region of Galilee preaching the gospel, share, uh, sharing the hope that he wanted people to experience. He's been performing miracles. He's been healing the sick, casting out demons, and he's blowing up in popularity, if you will. The paparazzi's all around. The crowds are looking for him. Everywhere he goes, the people are looking for him. He's gone viral, if you will. Everyone wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Everyone wants to get near him. Everyone wants to hear what he has to say. Everyone wants to see him perform a miracle. At the end of chapter one, it says that he can no longer enter the town openly. In other words, Jesus couldn't go out in broad daylight anymore without a ball cap and a hoodie on. He was having to walk around in disguise because everywhere he went, the crowds were pressing into him. He had no quiet time, no place he could go for solitude and silence and just to escape the crowds. And so in Mark chapter two, it says that he returns home. This was his home base, what theologians say, probably to the home of Simon Peter. See, Jesus was retreating, looking for a place to get some rest. And all of a sudden in chapter two, as he goes to this place in Capernaum, to find a, a retreat. It says that the word gets out that the rabbi who performs miracles is in town. And the crowds have tracked him down. It says that many were gathered together and that there was no more room around that place, not even at the front door. Now I know this place is crowded between 9.30 and 11. But this, this place, this house in Capernaum, it says they couldn't even get near the door now I know when you pull up to this place and there's not even a parking spot out there and you have to go all the way out there in the grass field, you're a little frustrated. But this was 
unlike anything that we could imagine. It says that they couldn't even get near the home, that the crowd surrounding the house was so large. It says that Jesus in this moment is preaching the word to them, and all of a sudden, four friends come to him bringing a paralyzed friend. Don't miss this. These guys, these four friends, everybody say four. These four friends hear that Jesus is in town. They've heard what Jesus can do. They've, they've heard of the miracles that he's been performing in Galilee and in that region, that he's been casting out demons, that he's been restoring sight to the blind, that he's been enabling the lame to get up and walk. And they hear that Jesus has now come to their town and instead of running to the house to get front row seats to be able to see and hear Jesus, they don't run to that house. They run all the way across town to someone else's house. They run to the house of their paralyzed friend. Here's why. A real friend not only cares for you, but will carry you in your time of need. Look at Mark Two, verse three, it says, they came to him, to Jesus, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. This paralytic friend is in a tough situation. Like we don't know how long he's been like this or what caused his disability. All we know is that he's paralyzed and that he can't do anything for himself. But thankfully, he has four faithful friends that genuinely care about him. I, I love this because these guys don't just say that they care. You ever had some friends that say that they care, but you're like, do you? Like, do you really care? Because I haven't seen it. These guys don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. I mean, they literally walk across town and they go, get their friend, they go grab a corner of his mat that he's lying on, and then they carry him all the way across town through the heat, through the dust, pressing their way through the crowds, trying to get their friend to Jesus. Now, I don't know when the last time was that you tried to carry a full-grown man, but this is no easy task, is it? I mean, imagine with me, if you will, this is a full-grown man who is completely paralyzed, he can't move. He can't do anything for himself. He's bound to this cot or this mat. That's where he lives all the time. And he's got four faithful friends that not only say they care, but they show that they care by running across town, grabbing a corner of his mat, and then carrying him all the way across town, hoping just maybe this is their one shot, their one chance that their, life, that their friend's life would be forever changed that he, they might get him to Jesus and that he might be healed from his disability. Let me ask you this, this morning. Are you a friend like that to someone? Don't move past this too quickly. Are you a friend like this? that doesn't just say that you care. You don't just say you care, but like you actually care, like you show that you care. On the flip side of that, let me ask you this. Do you have four friends like this in your life? 
I, I know as I asked that question, because I saw it in the eight o'clock, you're sitting there going, yeah, man, I got some friends. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Do you really have four friends like this? Four friends that don't just say they care, but four friends that show they care by coming across town to pick your butt up and carry you when you can't carry yourself. Do you have four friends like this in your life? If you do, go ahead right now, write them down. Write down four names on paper, type them in your phone. Because if you do, you are rich, you are blessed beyond measure. If you have four friends like this in your life, I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm not talking about buddies. Like we all have buddies, right? We got hunting buddies and fishing buddies and drinking buddies and fantasy football buddies. These are not just buddies. You know who's the worst at this, by the way? Married men. I'm one of them. Yeah, man, that's my boy. That's my buddy but could I call on him at 2 a.m.? Probably not. I'm talking four faithful friends that care enough to come pick you up off the floor when you can't pick yourself up. I'm talking about 2 a.m. friends that when the fertilizer hits the fan, they're the ones sitting there waiting for you. I'm talking about four friends that care more about you than what you think about them. I'm talking about four friends that are waiting for you in the emergency room when you get the worst news of your life. That's the kind of friends I'm talking about. Do you have four friends like this? And if not, why not? I was reminded of a story of one of our life groups here at New Beginnings last year. There was a, a woman that came to our church and she was fairly new. She didn't have many friends. She didn't know anyone here. Her husband worked out of town sometimes weeks at a time as a truck driver. So when she would show up to church, she was usually all alone. And she walked into one of our adult life groups and she thought immediately like, man, I'm out of place. Like these are all married couples. She said, I'm probably in the wrong group. And the women in that group rushed to her and they put their arm around her and they said, no, you're in exactly the right place. This is where you belong. And they just began to love her, care for her, become good friends to her. It wasn't a few months into their, her being a part of this life group that she found herself really sick. She didn't know who to call, who to turn to. Her husband was out of town across the country in California. She needed someone to take her to the ER. And so with great hesitation, she finally called the life group leader's wife. And this woman said, why did you wait so long? course I'll take you. She takes her to the ER, sits there all day with her. They run lots of tests. And then as the tests come back, it doesn't look good. 
And this life group leader's wife, this woman, she goes to work. She picks up the corner of the mat, so to speak. And she gets four other women in that group to grab the other corners. And she says, we're not leaving you alone. We'll sit here as long as it takes. And she set up a schedule around the clock, seven days a week, where there was never a moment that that lady was left alone. story goes on that many of this lady's co-workers would show up at the hospital to bring a card or bring flowers and they finally noticed all these people that they had never seen before and they looked at her and they said who are all these people in your room that are all they're always here like they will not leave your side and she said oh these are my friends these are my people my life group members from new beginnings one of those co-workers looked at her and she they said you know, we visited New Beginnings a long time ago. It was kind of big. It was kind of crowded. It was hard to find a parking spot. We only went once or twice, and then we never went back. And they said, but after seeing what we've seen, the kind of friends that you found, the kind of friends that will never leave your side and that sit here with you around the clock, we'll be back to New Beginnings because we need friends like that in our life as well. So let me ask you again. Do you have friends like this? Are you this type of friend? We all need friends like this. And we all need to be this type of friend. The next thing we see in this story is this. Real friends will do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus. Verse four says, since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, there was no parking spot. They drove around the lot a few times. But in their case, they walked around the, the dirt lot a few times carrying their buddy and it's about 120 degrees outside with 100% humidity. They're about to die. They get there. They can't get to, the, to Jesus. They can't get him in the house. And it says that they just walked away and said, sorry, bro, we tried. Is that what it says? Not at all. Listen to what it says. It says, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? Can you imagine this? Like the crowd is massive. Jesus is in the middle of this house and it's standing room only. It's shoulder to shoulder. No one can move. And he's preaching the word of God to them, just like you're hearing right now. And all of a sudden, they hear a thud on the roof. And it's not Christmas time. And they start looking up. You talk about a distraction when you're standing there preaching. And all of a sudden, you hear what sounds like someone cutting through the roof. I mean, I know you guys can be distracting at times with your Tervis tumblers that roll all the way down the aisle or the cell phone that beeps or rings. But this is a distraction at a whole new level. Jesus standing in the middle of this room preaching the word and all of a sudden, four guys are on the roof ripping, digging, chiseling, whatever it takes to rip the, a hole in this roof, big enough for a full-grown man to fit through. The 
These guys are relentless. I mean, if we're being honest, most of us, if this was us and we were carrying our friend and we got to the edge of the crowd and no one would let us through, most of us in that moment would go, and I'm sorry, we tried. There's no, there's no way. Like we can't get through this crowd, let alone into the house. Most of us would just stop, but not these guys. They're not like most of us. These guys actually have grit. These guys will not take no for an answer. These guys will not stop until they get their friend to Jesus. These guys will do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. So they get up on top of the roof and they start digging and ripping and pulling two feet of mud and sticks and straw and whatever it takes to dig a hole big enough for their paralyzed friend to fit through. And then they lower ropes all the way down and they lower him down in front of the crowd and they lay him at the feet of Jesus. These guys, are willing to rip the roof off of a house to get their friend to Jesus. This is unbelievable. These four friends, they knew that just getting their friend to a building was not the goal. Their goal was to get their friend into the presence of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is the only one who can heal him and restore him. They know that they care for him. They know that they love him. They'll even carry him, but they know one thing to be true. They can only go so far. They can only do so much. And then at the end of the day, if Jesus doesn't show up and Jesus doesn't heal him, then he's out of luck. They are desperate. Have you ever been that desperate for a friend that's lost? Have you ever cared that much about someone being forgiven and being healed and being saved that you were willing to rip the roof off of a house if that's what it took? These guys are. These guys knew that they had one shot, one chance to get their friend into the presence of Jesus and they weren't gonna waste it. His only chance was Jesus. Can I just tell you, church family, your lost friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, their only chance is Jesus. What are you gonna do to get them to Jesus? There was no price that these guys weren't willing to pay. And think about it, it cost these guys to carry their friend to Jesus. Think about it. It cost them their entire day that day, their schedule, their routine. I'm sure they had other things to do besides go across town and carry their full grown friend across town and try to get through a crowd. I'm sure they had families to feed, jobs to work at, bills to pay, errands to run, just like all of you. 
But in this moment, this took priority. This was more important than anything else on their agenda, anything else on their schedule. So in order to say yes to their friend, they had to say no to some other things. It cost them their entire day. Many of us are not even willing to give up an hour on our schedule. If we're inconvenienced, ah, sorry, bro, I'm busy. Maybe next time. These guys were willing to give up and sacrifice their entire schedule. Their social status, it cost them their status. This friend of theirs that they had become such great friends with, he's a paralytic. You may be saying, what does that matter? In their culture, someone with a disability or a disease was an outcast and a reject, shoved aside, worthless in society. They equated this man's disability with his sin. They basically believed that this man must be paralyzed because he's got a lot of sin in his life. He's a wretched, black-hearted sinner. And we, we, will have no, we can't have anything to do with him. He'll make us ceremonially unclean and we can't go to the temple and worship if we get around him or touch him or have contact with him. These friends didn't care what society said. It cost them money, finances. They were willing to pay the price I don't know when the last time was that you replaced a roof, but it's expensive. Their culture was just like ours. If you destroyed someone's property, you were responsible to pay for it. And they knew that. And they did it anyway. There was no cost too great that they weren't willing to pay, that they weren't willing to sacrifice See, these guys cared so much about their friend and were so desperate to get him to Jesus that they were willing to pay the cost because in their hearts and in their minds, they said, it's worth it. It's worth it. New Beginnings, look at me real quick. If we are going to be a church, a community of believers that really believe with all our heart that every person is valuable then it's gonna cost us something. It's gonna require sacrifice. We have to become the type of church, the type of people that say whatever it takes, there's no cost too great, there's no sacrifice too, too hard. We'll do whatever it takes to connect people to Jesus because he, at, the end, at the end of the day, he's their only hope. We get one chance, one shot, to introduce them to the life-changing power of who Jesus is. We may not get tomorrow. These friends don't waste this opportunity. They don't waste this moment. They're willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means ripping the roof off of a stranger's house. You know what I love about this church? Is you really are the kind of church that does whatever it takes. You've proven it time and time again. We are the type of church that will rip the roof off this place if we have to. In fact, we ripped out walls 
redesigned the building not too long ago just so we could have another campus, a third campus that launched last Sunday, by the way, NBN Espanol. And guess what happened on day one? It was maxed out. There was no room left. It was standing room only. See, it's gonna cost us. It's gonna require sacrifice on our part to be this kind of church, but I promise you, it's worth it. It's worth it because the last point is this, Jesus changes everything. Look what verse five says. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Seeing whose faith? Seeing their faith, everybody say their faith. What did their faith look like? Like how could Jesus see their faith when he looked up at the hole in the ceiling? How could he see their faith? It's because it was a James 2 kind of faith. It's a faith with works. It's a faith that produces fruit. It's a faith that moves and takes action to care for our friends and the people around us. It's a faith that that will not be denied. It's a faith that will not stop. It's a faith that will not let a crowd or even a roof stand in its way. It's a faith that does whatever it takes to get to Jesus. I'm sure everyone in the crowd, other than Jesus, in this moment, was greatly annoyed. I'm sure they were frustrated that these four friends interrupted their entertainment. Not Jesus. Imagine just him, he's looking up and he looks at these men and he looks at the paralytic with compassion and he's smiling from ear to ear, almost as if to say, I've been waiting on you. I've been waiting for you. And he looks up And he says, seeing their faith, he tells the man, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus saw their faith, but he also saw something else. He saw something that no one else could see. See, while this man's physical need was great, his spiritual need was greater. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, his friends, as much as they loved and cared about this guy, they were only focusing on the temporary, the physical, the paralysis. But Jesus was focusing on the eternal, the spiritual condition of this man's soul. After seeing their faith, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Don't miss this. In fact, underline that word son right there in the scripture. Don't miss it. This is huge. That Jesus calls this paralyzed man who's being lowered down through the roof, son. I I think this man's heart needed to hear those words so badly. 
See, because most of his life, he'd been labeled an outcast, a reject, a nobody. His identity was tied to his disability, but not anymore. Only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. Did you hear that, church family? Listen to me. I think there's somebody in this room that needs to hear that this morning. Only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. You're not your past. You're not your mistakes. You're not your disease. You're not your disability. You're not your addiction. None of those things get to define you. Only Jesus gets to tell you who you are, amen? And in this moment, he looks at the man and says, son, if you're in this room today and you belong to Jesus, he says the same thing about you. He looks at you and he says, son or daughter, you're mine, you're loved, you're treasured, you're forgiven. This is amazing. Immediately, of course, the religious elite in the room start to think some things. It says that they're in an uproar. It says they're thinking to themselves, sin's forgiven. Like, who does this man think he is? They didn't say it, but they were thinking it. Who does this rabbi teacher think he is? Only God gets to forgive sins. Look what happens in verse six through 12. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is that mic drop moment, if you will. This is Jesus revealing his identity as God in the flesh. This is Jesus saying, I am who I say I am. I have the power and I have the authority to forgive sins and to heal this man. Some of you are here today and you're wanting Jesus to do something for you. Maybe you find yourself paralyzed emotionally, paralyzed financially, paralyzed relationally. I don't know what your condition is or what you came in here with, but some of you are wanting to do, wanting Jesus to do something for you. And listen to me, he's wanting to do something in you first. Just like he did with this man. He wanted to forgive his sins, make him new before he told him to get up and walk out. Maybe that's you in this place today. Maybe you were invited by a friend. Maybe you were invited by four faithful friends like this guy. Maybe you're here wondering if Jesus can really fix your life. 
Here's what I want you to hear, church family. Here's what I want you to hear if that's you. Jesus wants to do some great things for you. But before he does those things for you, he wants to do something in you. See, Jesus is more concerned with your spiritual condition than he is with your physical circumstances. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time that we've had this morning. God, I thank you for this story, this life-changing story that we see in Mark chapter two. God, I thank you for these four faithful friends who were willing to do whatever it took to bring their desperate friend to Jesus. God, I know in this place right now, there are some people that are desperate. God, I ask that you would do what only you can do, that you would call them to yourself, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would confess their sins, that you would forgive them and that you would make them brand new. God, we know that you're their only hope. We know that you're the only one who can transform lives. And so we're asking that you would and we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. God, for the rest of us, may we be challenged today to be this kind of friend to other people. May we not only say we care, but may we be willing to go and carry them when they can't carry themselves. God, help us to be this kind of friend. Help us to be this kind of church. Help us to be this kind of community that will do whatever it takes to connect people to you. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, church family, let's.